Welcome back to the program. When it comes to Hollywood, William Goldman certainly may have been right when he said that nobody knows anything. Certainly the forces that drive Hollywood have always been somewhat mysterious. Why and how pictures get made, why some get to be hits and others misses, how some generate buzz and some actors in movies get hot, all sometimes seem to be the stuff of movie magic. And all of that was before the digital age, before Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Pirate Bay, before on-demand and binge-watching were everyday words. Today, the nuances of the film business are such that it sometimes stretches the credibility of the very word business. Yet even amidst all these changes, 2012 was a banner year. After two previous declining years, 2012 generated over $11 billion at the box office and even gave us some decent movies like Argo, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Django Unchained, and Zero Dark Thirty. So what did 2012 mean in the new paradigm of Hollywood? We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Ann Thompson. Ann Thompson is the founder and editor-in-chief of the daily film blog, Thompson on Hollywood. She's covered Hollywood for more than 25 years and has written for The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Entertainment Weekly, and LA Weekly. She's contributed to numerous other publications, and she's the author of a new book entitled The $11 Billion Year, From Sundance to the Oscars, An Inside Look at the Changing Hollywood System. Ann Thompson, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I want to talk about this interesting irony in that in 2012, the business is changing in so many respects, and there are so many threats besieging it from various quarters. And yet it has a record year in terms of income. Talk a little bit about that contradiction in some ways. Well, the studios have been chasing this sort of elusive group of people that will show up at movie theaters. And they're still locked into this relationship with the physical buildings, you know, these these houses that you have to go in, in a group and be collectively watching Films and they in 2012 and in 2013 they still managed to get all these people to show up and and to you know score record box office but it was with 3D and premium pricing and extremely expensive movies and the gross is not the same thing as what you earn what you take in right. what you bring home uh, at the end of the day and I'm what I'm arguing is that there's a a kind of um, fragile balance right now that their 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 future is not secure and does the movie business in your reporting understand what the threats are in terms of changing habits and the digital revolution certainly the music business didn't understand it and it almost put them out of business to what extent does the movie business understand this Understand some things. They understand that the that the old uh, old days of being able to collect lots of money from one window—they call them windows—so that you move from the theaters to uh, VOD and pay-per-view and on-demand and all these other markets that, that they were hope television airplanes. You know? So they kept trying to squeeze more money from from the stone as time goes on. They recognize that everything has to collapse and that the television model is working really well. As you said earlier, you know, the binging, uh, Netflix, being able to watch House of Cards all at once. What the, They understand that what the consumer wants is to be able to get what they want when they want it on any medium that they want it, whether it's a, a smartphone or a television or, or a movie theater. Um, the problem that they have is that they are so big 
that in order to sustain that bigness, and they're smaller than they used to be. In a, in, a way, in a way, you could look at the studios as being sort of like these facades. You know, it's almost like there's a, a Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, you know. They're not as big as they used to be. Uh, and they're making fewer movies every year, and they're making them bigger and more expensive. And my argument is that they're, they're almost putting themselves out of business in this drive to sustain enormity and, 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 and size and scale, and that they need to figure out how to communicate with the consumer in a different way. Instead of talking down to them and saying, we're going to sell you this and you're going to buy it, uh, engaging with them in a different kind of way. And in fact, the size of the business even pales in comparison to so many other aspects of, of both entertainment and the digital world. When we think of $11 billion as being a banner year in the movie business, and yet just the app business on, on iOS and Android is a $25 billion a year business. True. And, and what, what that, that brings up another thing, which is that the demographic, uh, the, the, the part of the audience that the studios insist on continuing to chase is the young male <laughs> demo that is totally obsessed with video games and everything else. Um, and you could look at it another way, which is that the, the, the movie business per se is a very uh, small and declining niche and that the, um, it's really filmed entertainment. It's really a, a different definition now where, where the studios own, you know, say Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers owns HBO and Warner Brothers owns the Warner Brothers studio to the, you know, this guy, Jeff Bukes, who runs the right. whole thing, said to me, he said, you know, I don't make a distinction. If I make money on HBO, I make money on HBO. If I make money on, at the movies, I make it there. I don't care. He doesn't care that hordes of filmmakers and writers and actors, the people who used to sustain the movie business are going to television because that's where the money is. That's where the opportunities are. And it's also where the buzz is. I mean, the things people are talking about are less movies now than things like Breaking Bad or House of Cards or Mad Men. No question about it. I myself, who grew up a you know an avid movie watcher, a, a true fan all along, uh, I, I watch television. I skip a lot of the movies. And here's the other thing. You have these big, gigantic popcorn entertainments, which are truly designed to play all over the world. And they're not necessarily even aimed at the American market, per se. And many, many, many movies do better overseas than they do here. They have less dialogue <laughs> and more formula, and they're kept very simple. And, you know, the sophisticated, smart uh, stuff that you and I look forward to is simply not being made by the, by the studios. You have little tiny micro indie movies from emerging filmmakers, and then you have these big, big temples. And the, the filmmakers like Lena Dunham, for example, someone who you would have ordinarily seen move up through the ranks of, of, of the indie film business, she went to television. There's a reason for that. What impact is this having then on talent, on actors and writers and directors? What are you seeing as the corresponding impact on that level? What worries me so much is that, you know, if you go to the book starts at the at the Sundance Film Festival and it, it shows, um, you know, Beasts of the Southern Wild. That was the big breakout that year and it kind of tracks it through the year. Um, you know, that's a filmmaker, an indie filmmaker who's, who's going to be operating um, on a very small budget level, you know, probably for the rest of his career. I mean, but you need, you need there, you need to be 
able to move up and to, to for someone like Darren Aronofsky who just made Noah, you know, that yes. opened uh, this past uh, weekend. You need, you need, uh, he, he started at, at Sundance with the movie Pie. You know, a lot of filmmakers started as independents and moved, you know, someone like Christopher Nolan was an independent who was brought into the studio system. There needs to be middle movies and, and transitional movies. You need to be able to make comedies and, and tragedies and, and they aren't interested in that anymore. I don't understand how anyone is going to learn how to make a movie <laughs> if there is no middle anymore. Are there individuals and executives that you've come across in your reporting that get it, that understand the things we're talking about? Hmm. I would say that, uh, well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, The Studio Universal, uh, which I cover a bit in the book, is, is, is owned by Comcast, uh, one of the great cable operators. And they are uh, positioned to make some bold moves. I would say that Disney is also always, has always been forward-looking. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, after they took this bold experiment, which I write about, um, the, they put this guy from the Disney Channel in charge of the studio, and he, he ended up being in charge of John Carter, <laughs> which was like a $200 million write-off for the studio. You have to be careful. You know, there, there, there's all sorts of... Um, you need people who know what they're doing and know how to tell stories. You can't just jump into the technical, uh, you know, future willy-nilly and change all the rules. There's got to be some kind of reasonable sanity to the whole process. And then they ended up taking this veteran who'd been in charge of Warner Brothers and put him in charge of the studio. But what you can see at some place like Disney is that they're going on Marvel. They're going, they bought the, the Lucasfilm, so they have Star Wars. Uh, you know, they're, 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 th- they're not working with Jerry Bruckheimer anymore. They're working with these these brands. It's all about known brands. We'll see. We'll see what, it, what they figure out. It's interesting, though, about Disney and Comcast, the two that you mentioned. They have deep roots with respect to television. Comcast, obviously, through through cable, but also Disney through ABC and ESPN and its other franchises. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think Bob Iger is a very smart cookie um, and and he's if anyone can figure it out, uh, he's always had a sort of tense, tense what's the word uh, a tense relationship with with the exhibitors. I mean the studios know what they have to do. It's the exhibitors who are sort of holding firm and and are terrified that they're literally going to be put out of business if they let the this that those if, if they let the studios release movies. Um, on video on demand at the same time as they go in theaters. That's what the independents are are able to do, mm-hmm. um, and not and the, so the independents are innovating and the studios are are trying, but they're stuck. And, and so so there's this new um, thing called popcorn time, which is truly terrifying. It's one of these sort of things that pops up and they try to slap it down. It's sort of like a, a whack-a-mole thing. <laughs> Uh, where where you where you can go on and you can just it's it's torrent torrent it's a it's on it's online and mm-hmm. it's torrent it's been shut down already so you can't have it anymore it's not available now but it, it keeps cropping up and you can you can literally load in thirty seconds any movie you want and watch it for free mm-hmm. with no ads right and and and, and, and so it's there it's just the studios can't do it yet. 
And in fact, it was resistance to that and not understanding the reality of that that had such a disastrous effect on the music business. And the studios know that, and they also know that they have to give in to consumer demand. So, you, so Netflix is innovating, and iTunes is innovating, and Amazon is putting on television series now, uh, you know, crowdsourced, you know. Uh, it, it's, it's all happening, and the studios are locked, and they can't do anything. There was just a story yesterday about Amazon and, and Bezos talking about a 24-7 television streaming service. They just deny that they're doing it. Right. <laughs> they, 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 they're, they're saying they're not. But yeah, but that's ex- these are the things. That, you know, you have you have Facebook buying Oculus Rift. You know, which is this new virtual headset that you can immerse yourself in a in a world, and and it's just extraordinary stuff going on. And if the studios don't, be, they, their attitude toward piracy is part of what gets them in trouble. Uh, they think they think that everything is piracy, and and they don't they don't realize that the online is the world they must embrace. The other consequence of all of this, and and we see it even in the declining ratings of award shows, is the degree to which the movies matter less and less. Well, what happens? I mean, the, my argument is is that what happens is that at the end of every year, and this is part of what the book is about, you have you know this the the exceptions, you know, <laughs> the the ten movies or, or so that that somehow by hook or by crook with the, with the help of the best directors and and the the most passionate uh, movie makers in the business somehow they get pushed through with independent financiers like Megan Ellison or 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 you know who backed um you know the the mm-hmm. the, the, the great uh, her or or the American Hustle the David O Russell movie this year um or 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 the master you know i mean that's a movie very few people would make um so you have if they were willing to do that more often if they were willing to take those bets all year long they would come out okay it's just that they aren't willing to take those chances and and so we every year we're reminded of what the greatest absolute fabulous movies can be but there just aren't enough of them as you talk to filmmakers in your work and in your reporting, what are they saying about this? What do, what do the, the name brand filmmakers think needs to be done? They want to be back in the game. They, they, they really do. Uh, they want to be able to make the movies that they want to make. I mean, you could also argue that the studio system had gotten out of whack and that they were paying, you know, actors too much money and, and that the executives were making too much money. I mean, there is a kind of interesting corrective going on, which is that it's, you know, you don't have all those lavish producer deals anymore. And, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, there was a story that Amy Pascal had to let go of, of, of one of her assistants who was making $200,000 a year, you know, I mean, there is an enormous inflation and bloatedness that did attend a lot of Hollywood filmmaking, but it still needs to exist. And I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say goodbye, you know, to, to the movies. And, and so uh, we can hope. We can hope that they, but if, if, if Steve, you know, DreamWorks itself, you know, I wrote about uh, Lincoln and all right. the problems that Spielberg had getting that movie made, which would seem like such an obvious slam dunk from the most powerful uh, director in Hollywood. Um, 
if DreamWorks is under duress and may not even survive, you know, that that's that's not a good sign either. You also write about the various film festivals that take place every year, uh, South by Southwest, Cannes, Telluride, Toronto, New York, etc. What influence are they having within the context of what we've been talking about? Well, part of one of the mantras, that, one of the, the things that you keep hearing people say is this, this idea of curation, because there's so many movies being made now. I mean, the, 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 the the lower barrier to entry means that many more films, uh, especially at a very low budget uh, with video cameras, can get made. And so the festivals are the gatekeepers, they're the curators, they're the ones who sort of plow through the dross and figure out, you know, which are the which are the ones that are worth looking at and showing to to the people who show up at these festivals from Sundance, which is probably the most important one in terms of debuting new material. Um, at the beginning of the year uh, through Cannes, which is the world granddaddy of them all, the one that with, with all the glamour and the red carpet and, and uh, you know, the auteurs of international cinema, and then right through to the fall film festivals when the Oscar season really begins. And we begin to sort of see which, which movies the critics respond to and the audiences respond to, the ones that are going to get the real push toward the big night, which is Oscar night. What are you seeing as the role of critics in this new landscape? I am an enormous supporter of critics. Um, I, as a member of the media who had moved, as you pointed out, from you know <laughs> monthlies and and weeklies and dailies to uh, the twenty four seven world of 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 the internet. Um, you know, it is hard to make a living now. It is hard for people to get paid. You know, you have senior people who had reached the apex of their profession who are, you know, now sort of being put out to, to pasture, and, and there's very low wages. So you have the young and you have the old again. You have no middle. You have no real livelihood. Uh, and so it's, it's an interesting time uh, to watch uh, because I think that, critics with authority who really know their stuff and who are trusted uh, make an enormous difference um, wow. with movies. And and yet there's also, and they need to feed the Rotten Tomatoes and the Metacritics, the aggregators that people do look at. And there is evidence. There's a There was a study at, um, at the uh, CinemaCon convention, which just closed last night in Las Vegas. Uh, there was a study that, that critics, uh, actually do make a difference and audiences do look at them. It's not just peer-to-peer recommendations as everybody seems to think. In fact, as there are more options and more noise and more things out there, it, it's arguable that critics make an even more significant difference. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And and, and the studios, you know, they, they, will, they will spend, you know, millions of dollars to sell, um, you know, Captain America or, or, or whatever, uh, Noah, but, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence that if, if critics um, don't support something and if the word gets out, uh, you know, it, it spreads and audiences find, find out that movies are bad and they don't go to them. And that happens really early and really fast. And uh, that, that is something the studios are actually also trying to contend with. They, they will hold on to movies and, and fix them like World War Z rather than put them out the way they used to, thinking they could get away with something. If we think 10 years down the road, 12 years down the road, will we be looking at a vastly different movie business, do you think? Mm, it's a good question. 
I wish I, I wish I really knew. Yes, I think we will. I think we will. I think, I think something's got to give. Um, and, and we're going to be, I, I do think that this, the popcorn time of it all is going to catch up even with the studios. They're going to have to give in uh, to audience demand. Um, but it may be that it's a smaller, smaller, smaller kind of, of, of Hollywood. Um, I, I can't imagine that they're going to be able to sustain uh, what we think of um, as, as the movie business. It's going to become more um, of, a, of a stream. And, and the old idea of movies opening on a Friday and that's what you pay attention to, I think, it, again, it's going to be much more of a, of a constant stream. And that's where critics and curation and festivals become even, even more uh, important. And, and people on the, in, on the Internet who have the authority to sort of say, you know, this is what you should see. And as you said earlier, in many ways, it's the exhibition side of the business that's been holding it up. And most of the people in that, in that business are really dying off in so many respects, both figuratively and literally. The latest movement that I have, have picked up on is, is that what the studios want the theaters to do is to get into these other businesses so that they have a stake in it, so that they're just part of the, of the overall picture. That, and what the, studio, you know, what, the, what the theater owners argue is, we do this. This is what we do, and this is why you have to give us our window. Uh, you, know, you have to keep the movies only in our theaters for this amount of time. And and I think that I think that the studios in this case are right that the theaters are going to have to uh, get get with the picture. Ann Thompson, her book is the eleven billion dollar year from Sundance to the Oscars: An Inside Look at the Changing Hollywood System. And I thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was a pleasure. You know your stuff, Jeff. <laughs> thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 